and welcome back to Close Up with Aurelia magazine. This week we're joined by the amazing Sarita Domingo, writer and editor of the new anthology Who's Loving You? Love Stories by Women of Colour. I'm your host, Kaya. And I'm Amelia. And we're just going to jump straight into it and get to know Sarita, so take it away, Mel. I've been really looking forward to this interview. Thank you so much for chatting to us today. Um, I guess we should just start a bit from the no, no worries. Um, I guess we should start a bit at the beginning. Um, if you could tell our listeners a bit about yourself and, and the amazing work that you do. Yes. Yeah, so um, I'm a writer and uh, an editor and I've been writing for about, ooh, well, my first, uh, my debut novel came out in 2016, um, The Nearness of You. Um, and I've had a few out since then, a couple of young adult novels and um, last year another adult romance novel, um, If I Don't Have You. And yeah, I also edit books for my day job. Nice. And a, a lot of your work is, um, you know, quite erotic based mm-hmm. initially. Um, what kind of drew you to that subsection? So yeah, the first um, the first stories that I had published were erotic fiction. Um but they, I was commissioned to write those, so it wasn't uh, necessarily my calling. It was just that I was working in publishing and the place where I worked um, won the, um, what's the word, kind of the contract to publish books for um, Agent Provocateur, the luxury lingerie brand. And they decided to do a collection of um, erotic stories. And so even though I was just like working in the sales and marketing department, I love to write. And I was like, why don't I try putting myself forward for this? And um, the editors really liked my stories. Um, So I got, yeah, those were the first stories I had published in those collections. And then I also got commissioned to write an erotic novella for Company magazine. They did like some little books um, I don't know if Company Magazine is still in existence, but um, yeah, so I wrote a novella. Um, but again, they kind of had parameters and guidelines. It wasn't like they gave the story, but they were like, so the um, novella had to appeal. It had to be in diary format, which is really hard when you're, who writes down all their erotic <laughs> fantasies? I don't know, but they did in those <laughs> books. And um yeah, and they had to appeal to a certain audience and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's how I got my start. But um, erotic fiction wasn't necessarily the thing that I was like, oh, this is what I want to write. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting. Uh, can you kind of pinpoint an age when you remember feeling drawn to literature, like wanting to write it, wanting to be a writer? I feel like I've always been drawn to it. Um Since I was a young girl, I mean, I always wrote stories since I was like, you know, able to write. And um, at school, if there was the opportunity to write a story versus any other thing, I'd choose the option of writing a story. And definitely like through sort of higher education, if there was an option for a sort of creative response rather than an essay, that would be the thing I'd do. So, yeah, it's always been just the way I guess I express myself creatively. 
Obviously, uh, the anthology Who's Loving You is a bit different because you have created it, if you like, you've edited the anthology. Um, how did that come about? Did you pitch the idea or I did, did yeah. somebody ask you to do it? No, I pitched the idea. Um, it was somewhat spontaneous. I was um, having a, I guess, like a general meeting with a commissioning editor from Trapeze about a couple of ideas I had or that I had started writing um, to see if they'd be interested. Well, they sort of said, let's have a meeting and chat about it. Um, but then that editor, Katie Brown, who's actually left now, but she um, she asked me if I had any other ideas that I was sort of thinking about. And weirdly, like that week, I think I've been to the hairdressers or something and I was like waiting for the conditioner to set in or whatever. And I had an idea for a collection of romantic stories written by like my favorite authors um so I told Katie about that and she was like oh that's interesting so I did write it down you know like like a pitch um that you might do for a non-fiction project but obviously this is fiction I wrote a pitch for that um and yeah they liked it they commissioned it and then I had the task of actually getting all the people together <laughs> and um, editing it and writing a story for it and all of that. You have a story in the collection, The Ways Will Carry Us Back. Yes. Um, can you tell us a bit about what that's about? Yeah, so there's um, a photograph that I had seen years, like it, well over a decade ago, I saw a photo um, in The Guardian that were, um, I tore it out of The Guardian, in fact, because it was a picture of a refugee woman. She had sort of washed up on the shores of, um, I can't quite remember which beach it was in Spain. Um, and I think she'd come from the Af African continent. And she um, she's lying on the beach and a soldier is sort of cradling her in his arms on the beach. And it's such a beautiful picture. Um, I actually have it blown up and framed oh wow. oh wow and it it just spoke to me I think the, the tender way that the man is holding her he's she's obviously a stranger to him um it just always seemed like it would make a beautiful story a love story and so when I came to think about writing um a story for this collection I suddenly remembered that photo and I was like I'd like to write something like that um so The Ways Will Carry Us Back is about a black British man. He's a surfer and he's travel. He's been traveling around, you know, um, surfing and he's in Spain. He's at the end of his like um, break that he's been taking. And early one morning he sees a boat full of refugees wash up on the beach. And one of one of whom is uh, this woman who he helps. And then they meet again years later. So, yeah, I kind of wanted to write a story based on that photo. And I'd also seen um, Matty Diop's film, Atlantiques. I think it's on Netflix. Um, but that also was quite an influence because that's about sort of refugee people as well. I think the reason why this anthology seems so important to me is because, like you mentioned earlier, it's so important that people sort of acknowledge on a wider scale that black people and people of colour, you know, do want to write about mm. love, 
I think obviously recently there's been a big push for um, writers, um, black writers, but um, are expected to sort of mind their trauma a lot of the time yeah. or offer advice to people. Mm-hmm. And there's something so beautiful and refreshing about just people writing love stories. Yeah. So I think people are really going to love it. I hope so. I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. There is kind of a feeling that black people and people of colour only really are commissioned or want to write about a certain type of thing. But love is a completely universal emotion and experience that hopefully all people get to um, experience and go through. So why shouldn't we write about that and why shouldn't we get to read about it and see ourselves reflected in it? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of that thing, isn't it, where it's just the book that I'd always wanted to read um, exactly. You know, and it, it's it's amazing to finally have books where the protagonist is a person of colour and mm. I can see parts of myself in them um, in very ordinary, everyday yeah. stories. Exactly mm. that. Uh, it's probably going to be a really difficult question for you because obviously I'm sure you love them all. But there is, <laughs> is there one story in the collection where when you read it, you were just like blown away? Is there one that you especially really excited for people to read i mean it does sound like a lie to say that i genuinely love all of the stories in the collection but i do um but (laughs) in terms of being well i mean i approached all of these people because i know their writing some some of the people in the collection like dorothy coomson are massively well established um so obviously you know that they can deliver a great story but um some people are like debut authors or um it's kind of their first time writing fiction so Kelechi Okafor um is sort of known for her opinion pieces and things like that as well as obviously like being a real firebrand on Twitter and all of that but from just I guess I just had a sense that she would also write excellent fiction and so I did approach her about writing a story for this collection and I was very very excited to read what she's written um it's a beautiful story and yeah I think that I mean I wasn't surprised because I did obviously think she would write good fiction but um I was sort of um I guess that was brought out by the story that she wrote. It was really wonderful. But genuinely, every single story in it, they're all great. Yeah. And what do you hope people, when they're reading it, what do you hope that they gain from reading the book? Um, Well, certainly for people of colour, I hope that they feel seen um, when they're reading these stories. But for everybody, I think it, um, as much as anything, I want people to feel like they have this book as somewhere that they can turn to and escape. And, you know, short fiction is something you can dip in and out of. You don't have to read the whole thing all in one go. Um, So I think just a a book that they can turn to and think, I'd like a story that centres romance and love, Um, particularly in these times where, you know, sometimes you do just want an escape or you want something that isn't necessarily rooted in trauma or reminding you, to such a great extent of all the difficult things that are going on around us at the moment. I just want some people to read it and and feel a sense of love, I guess, a sense of romance. Um, and that's what's so beautiful about romantic fiction in general. It is 
getting to live those feelings and experiences vicariously through the characters um and who doesn't want that yeah absolutely I remember growing up I used to really love romance fiction and people used to sort of take the piss a bit yeah because I don't think it's always taken seriously as a genre mm. which is obviously completely wrong uh so it's good to you know have a book of romance for adults that um just you know celebrates love yeah um which leads me to ask you um and this is a hard question but who are some of your uh, main writing influences Ooh, um I mean Toni Morrison is my absolute favorite writer of all time um I don't know I mean if only I could uh, emulate her greatness but she's definitely an influence I mean she's the first author that I read that made me think wow it's possible to be like the greatest writer of all time and be a black woman and to sort of center your blackness and write from that perspective. Um, so she's definitely one. Um, there's an author called Jandy Nelson who writes for young adults. Um, but her first novel, the sky is everywhere that had a big impact on me because it's so, it is, it's a romantic story, but it's also about so many other things and it's poetic and philosophical. Um, and yeah, it's just one of my favourite books. I, um, not many people, I guess, have read it unless you're really into YA um, fiction, but she's a wonderful writer, so I love her work. Um, who else? There are so many, um, but inevitably I'm drawing a blank now, but those are definitely two. In terms of kind of young writers that are up and coming um what advice would you have for them Ooh, um I mean I think it can be disheartening and I feel it even as someone who's had a number of books out it can feel at the moment like um if you don't immediately get a book deal or if you don't you don't suddenly blow up and be like the most celebrated author ever that you're not doing well but I think um, if I've learned anything from my own writing career, it's to kind of appreciate that it might be a slow burn or it might be a, a, a longer journey and that that's just as valid as um, in terms of being a writer. Um, but the key thing you have to do as a writer, obviously, is actually write. Um, try not to procrastinate. Try to set, um, take it seriously like you would your other career if you don't um, have the luxury of being a writer full time really take it seriously and take yourself seriously and believe in yourself believe in your ability writing is such a subjective thing um, there's no wrong or right way to be talented as a writer um, there's always going to be somebody who will like your work you just kind of have to get it down on the page and be happy with it yourself um, before anybody else can take it seriously Oh, it's amazing. It is, isn't it? That was like such <laughs> that was just gold. <laughs> um, and of course, it is true that um, you've written a number of books by now. How different has it been uh, this time trying to, well, launching a book during COVID? Because mm. obviously usually there's all the book launches, like in-person events yeah. and things. What's it been like? I mean, in... It, it's it's not been ideal, <laughs> but in lots of ways, it has been maybe easier to kind of um, broaden out the reach of like publicity stuff for the book. 
online is a space that um, hopefully most people around the world can access. So that's great. I mean, um, the launch event for Who's Loving You is obviously going to be online. But, you know, we've um, 500 people have already registered for tickets. So there's no, you know, it's very unlikely that an in real life event would have had that kind of capacity of people. Um, Who knows? Maybe it would have done. But um, I think because there's an accessibility to doing things online that um, it allows people a greater scope, even if it's just not being so London centric. Um, I think that's only a good thing, really. So it's had its positives. I mean, it would be lovely to be able to get all 10 writers together to celebrate um, this project. It's been like quite an epic journey for me, quite a labour of love and intense to do. So it would have been really nice to sort of be able to celebrate that, pop some bottles, you know, but what can you do? (laughs) I mean, I think I just feel fortunate that this book is um, in existence at all. So it's been fine. It's been all right. Yeah, fine will do sometimes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Virtually popping yeah, bottles. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, that's amazing. Do you want to spin the wheel, Mel? Shall we do it? Is it time to spin it? So let's spin this wheel. Ooh, okay. So question number eight. Is what you're doing now what you always wanted to do growing up? Um, it depends what counts as growing up. I mean, definitely from being teenager I'd say I probably wanted to be an author so I guess yes but when I was for some reason when I was like I don't know 10 11 years old I thought I wanted to be an investigative journalist like in war zones and stuff (laughs) but clearly I don't have the metal for that so uh but I guess that's still writing I used to too (laughs) really yeah I don't know where I got that from but it went from like ballerina to yeah going to like war zones and then I kind of got into my 20s and was like "Mm, yeah do I actually want to be running Mm. away from people no exactly yeah (laughs) that's so funny I want to be an archaeologist but I don't think I actually knew what that was it sounds really good though (laughs) yeah I just know that my parents used to watch like archaeology programs I used to think wow like digging something yeah that's amazing yeah Yeah, I think I must have like been watching CNN or something because I grew up in the Middle East um from age nine to 16 um as an expat and so like CNN was like a thing you'd watch so I guess maybe I've been seeing journalists up there and thinking that was what I'd do but no (laughs) (laughs) oh cool um okay shall I spin the wheel do you want to go okay yes please we've got number 89 oh this is lovely (laughs) who is your greatest hero oh that is really lovely my greatest hero um I mean, I've already mentioned her, but it would probably be Toni Morrison. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm a real stan of Toni Morrison. <laughs> Where I'm sitting at the moment, there is legit a photo <laughs> of her above me here. Um, yeah, I just... Um, she's She was just such a, an incredible person and, like, everything that I'd aspire to be. She was an editor as well, Um so yeah, as far as I'm concerned, she's she's the aspiration and the peak. 
does. So we've got Tony, but if you had to pick somebody from your mm. everyday life, well, maybe not everyday life, but your real in-person life, who would you pick? Um, I would probably pick my mum. Um, she's also a big influence on me and, you know, like a, an excellent woman, an excellent role model. Um, I think we're very similar in a lot of ways, sort of personality-wise. She's quite random and strange, but also quite serious. Yeah, I think, um, you know, and she's had some, like, difficult things she's had to go through in the last few years and come out the other side um, stronger. So I think, yeah, she's someone I definitely would consider a hero as well. Yeah, I read something... This is such a bad um, interpretation of what I read the other day, but I read something about how... Growing up is finally starting to understand your mum more. Mm. And it's so true. Like, my youth is just plagued with, like, not really understanding her or the choices that she made or the things that she would say to me. I just thought it was so Mm. unreasonable all the time. But now I'm older and I see myself having to make difficult decisions. I just really um, Mm -hmm. sympathise with her and and understand her a bit more. And parenting is so hard. (laughs) So hard. (laughs) This is so difficult. Who's yeah. your hero, Mel? Uh, my hero is definitely my granddad. Um, just he's just like someone that I've always respected and always um, is kind of like the opposite to me. But that's why I kind of I've learned so much from him. Um, so yeah, he's just like top guy. Aww. Top guy. Yeah. How about you? Um, my nin would be mine, who, well, I, I called her my nin, but that just means gran. Um, yeah, she, definitely. She was my hero. She taught me everything, I think, that is valuable to me. She's passed away now. It was one of those really sad situations, actually, where I think I didn't... Do you know, because, you know, I was a teenager and I wasn't really that arsed a lot mm. of the time about telling her how much I cared, and now she's gone, and I wish I could have just, you know, told her she was the best, but... Every time I mention that to someone, because they knew how close we were, they're like, she yeah. knows how you felt. Like, I was just about to say that, 100%. <laughs> exactly. I had the same conversation with so. my auntie, and she was like, what do you mean? Of course she knew that you loved her. Like, it's fine. Like, you, d- you don't need to worry about that. Yeah. I hope one day, you know, somebody says, I'm their greatest hero. Yeah, exactly. And I'm just like, I always knew that you loved me. <laughs> right, OK. Uh, let's try and... I'll- Let's try and spin this wheel again. Hopefully we get something a little bit different. Okay, um, number 31. Oh, I like this. What's one thing that people always misunderstand about you? Ooh, um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people... That's a <laughs> A lot of people, when they meet me, think, or at least the impression I get, is that they think I'm quite um, reserved and maybe a bit standoffish like stush or think I'm better than them or something (laughs) but yeah I don't know why people get that impression I'm just I guess a bit quiet I'm kind of an introvert like a confident introvert if that makes sense so I guess I'm not I don't always give people the like super bubbly I'm like really bad at small talk and that kind of thing so maybe that's where they get the impression that I'm like that but I'm really not so am I actually I feel like I can come across awkward sometimes yeah. but I just I just want to get into the real stuff yeah. but then you have to sort of like allow like a buffer in time don't <laughs> exactly. you yeah. but yeah it's definitely true definitely 
Yeah. No, I, d- uh, I relate to that as well. It's kind of, I think sometimes, I don't know, the, especially if you kind of look a certain way, for example, I'm quite like, I'm well, I'm very short. I'm like five foot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, just even something like that, people can just underestimate you a little bit. Yeah. Sometimes you feel like you've got more to prove. Exactly. Yeah, it's kind of about proving yourself, which I think, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm often find myself like in work environments and stuff. I am often the only person of colour. And so you do feel like you're you're conscious of that and you're conscious of how you might come across and whether you need to tread those lines of like what pe- what other people's perceptions of you might be versus trying to be authentic yourself. It can be difficult, yeah. Mm, for sure. My last job um, was retail for a well-known high street brand. I'll just say that. And um, I was the only person of colour in that place and my work there coincided with um the protests over the summer Mm -hmm. and you know all the really important things that were happening in the world Mm -hmm. and I would come into work and be angry and you know talk about it and then I found out that everyone was like talking about Mm -hmm. me behind my back as if you know I'm this person that's like pissed off all the time and like angry at white people and like unapproachable and it was so sad because I felt like I'd spent such a long time trying to make myself um like you know somebody that these people would enjoy being around and it just didn't go my way because they just didn't want to have these conversations Mm. um so I think that's quite difficult but yeah definitely I think thing one thing that people misunderstand about me I guess is I got this oh my god I got this at college as well like I did uh politics a level for a bit I ended up dropping (laughs) it but I did it for a year and uh, everyone in my class is like all you care about is talking about like equality and stuff and everyone (laughs) wanted to get into all the other bits and my teacher at the time she's called Debbie she she stuck up for me um which was nice uh and now she follows me on twitter hey (laughs) oh cute uh, yeah people have always had this idea of me that I go on too much about things I think are really important and show who we are as people but I guess it's easier isn't it for other people to just act like these things aren't happening Mm -hmm. yeah no yeah I think mine's definitely just sometimes looking like I'm 10 years younger than I actually look (laughs) (laughs) people people just think I'm just like not qualified I'm like hello (laughs) what good ideas (laughs) that's good though maybe when you're older you'll feel good about that yeah, people yeah. always say, well, when you're young. 50, you look 40. I'm like, well, I just want to look like I can yeah. buy alcohol without getting ID, please. <laughs> oh, so funny. Shall I give it a little spin? A little spin. Go, go, go. Number 70. Oh, this is sweet. Who was your favourite teacher or is your favourite teacher and why? Ooh, I've got two and they both kind of had similar qualities. So when I was <laughs> in junior school, um, there was Mrs. Franz, who she was just kind of, she was very encouraging, but not in a patronising way, which I guess some teachers can be. I mean, I was only like seven or something, but she was the kind of teacher who would encourage your potential and like let you do playtime or whatever if you finished your work that kind of thing um Mm. she had a really good balance of like in terms of her energy about making sure you take your work seriously but also um allowing you to sort of have fun as a kid and then 
when I was doing my A-levels, there was... Actually, I have three. Um, when I was doing my A-levels, <laughs> there was Mrs. Gray, who, again, was just very encouraging. Like, she was kind of quite deadpan. Um, but, yeah, I felt supported by her, which I think is so important for teachers um, to do. And then the last one... Um, why have I, that's really bad. I've completely drawn a blank on his name. That's terrible. But um, I had a year abroad in, um, well, it wasn't a year abroad, it was part of my degree. I went to University of California, their San Diego campus for a year. And um, one teacher I had there, he was a creative writing teacher and really, really encouraged me to pursue creative writing. So, um it's really, really bad that his name has completely fallen out of my head. And I'll remember the minute we finish recording. But shout out to him. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it always shout goes. Shout out to him. <laughs> uh, what about you, Mel? Um, I was just thinking, I one teacher stands out to me. Um, and she was called Mrs. Barnes. And I think she was like my year five teacher. And I just remember she just like really, really loved me. I don't know why. <laughs> And, um, like, she made me school council leader. So I just thought I was the shit. <laughs> and then when I left her class, um, I started being a bit naughty. And the teachers obviously, like, started speaking to each other about about me. And she just came up to me <laughs> and gave me such a bollocking. <laughs> and she was like, I know you're better than this. I know you can do this. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so sorry. And then after that, I was like, good as gold. And I just thought, like, I don't know. I just had a, a bit of a strangled respect for her because she just kind of put me back on the straight and narrow a little bit. Um, which is good. It's just like when teachers care, it's yeah, so nice. Exactly. Yeah. You can really feel that as well can't you when you're younger especially I mean I don't know what it was like for you two but um school was quite difficult I mean we, me and Amelia always mention this but children can be so mean yeah <laughs> like the meanest some of the meanest things I've ever gone through I went through when I was a kid at school um so teachers good teachers really stand out I had two one was in primary school she's called Miss Warrington and on it was I don't know if yeah, she always used to just like tell us about her personal life, and I guess maybe that's where my interest and in, like knowing about people came mm. from because she would just be very open, um, which maybe encouraged me to be. And every own clothes day, she would wear a t shirt that said, I love chocolate on it. But it was always like a different t shirt, always a different one, but it always said, I love chocolate, which I just thought was like, like amazing, like good for you. And then we went on, um, we went on a trip, me and my parents, and I bought her, like, an amethyst stone back, and I just Aww. remember her genuinely looking so delighted, and I was like, it's how you can make people feel. <laughs> um, so I remember her really fondly. And then in secondary school, my English teacher changed my life. I love writing, I read a lot, and she just just changed everything for me. I think she's called Miss Summers Girl, and she had really long, dark hair and, like, one, sh- like, strip of grey mm. and... I just thought it was like the coolest, yeah. coolest thing. <laughs> yeah. Like really cool. And um, on own clothes days, I used to love own clothes days because you would get to know people a little bit more, I think. Yeah. And she would wear like, like raw hem jeans and uh, she's quite old, but like raw hem jeans, like Converse. And I was just like, you are the coolest person <laughs> I've ever met. She <laughs> sounds great. She really was. She was so passionate um, 
about everything. But yeah, I remember her. Did she get you into writing? I think she did, yeah. She um, would always really take the time to read my work. And if I would write things that, you know, didn't have anything to do with school, she would, mm. she would read them and take the time to give me feedback and... I'm sure some of it was absolutely terrible, but she always told me it was amazing, so <laughs> that helped. Yeah, <laughs> for oh, sure. So nice. Okay, I think should we have one more? Qu- I mean, we said four, but should we have one more? Why not? Yeah. Spinning, spinning. <laughs> this is very on brand. Fifty-four. What is the craziest thing you've ever done for love? <laughs> Ooh, I mean, I don't do anything crazy for love. I'm really boring in that respect. <laughs> like. I honestly can't even think of anything. That's really bad and That's really good though. No, I was just thinking, can I think of anything? I mean, I'm sure I've done um, embarrassing things where you're just like, ugh, I can't believe you did that. But not for love. <laughs> I didn't love those people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a fine line as well, isn't there? That's a question where you could sort of get into things that were just a bit yeah. strange more than crazy. Yeah. Um, I'm sure maybe... Uh, Amelia, have I ever told you about anything crazy I've done for love? I can't really think of anything right now. I can't think of anything. I feel like I'm always sort of watching myself from a bird's eye view, mm. so I'm, I don't think I would have done anything crazy because I've been too embarrassed of how it would have made me laugh. I've done cringy things like making a playlist. Yeah, it's always <laughs> like, but relative, you know, like relative to the big grand gestures, it's always like quite low key. I've definitely made mixtapes, so like mix I've definitely made a mix CD once upon a time but like I think I think that's what's so nice about romance fiction to bring it back because I think the those really big grand gestures are what we want to see in sort of fiction where it is heightened and it's more like a fantasy version of what love and romance really is and not always obviously it's like certainly my writing tends to skew more realistic but I think that is the appeal of romantic fiction is to kind of live those big, big feelings through the page. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, kind of like your alter ego. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's so empowering. <laughs> if you're someone like me that doesn't really take risks because you're too scared, it's such a blessing to be able to live vicariously through 100%. characters that do crazy things yeah. to love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We might all be boring, I'm not too sure. Um, I realised the other day that I didn't actually make any New Year's resolutions, so maybe I'm going to do something crazy for love. Yeah. Ooh, let's plan maybe. this. I think we should, yeah. <laughs> that sounds great. I want to hear. Come I want to I want to hear if you actually do in that. for a treat. I did get proposed to you on the street once, and I was, like, 20 and this guy came up to me it was actually when I was in San Diego and he was like I love you I want he gave me a ring (laughs) like a signet ring that I still have somewhere that was like engraved with some special like it had initials on it and he was like he was relentless and was just like I want to marry you (laughs) gave me his ring everything I was like well I'm not really interested but Thanks. Do you, do you know this? Did you I know this guy? He was a complete stranger. <gasps> and was, Is he still a stranger yes. now? <laughs> yeah. We did not keep him. So I was just like, oh, I'm not into That's really weird, but thanks. And uh, he, he insisted on me keeping his ring. And I am actually married, <laughs> I so I might be in some sort of 
polygamy thing I didn't realize <laughs> but um yeah he was really insistent I should find that ring that was a gesture someone did to that's, me but yeah that's completely insane it was pretty weird it, is, it was it? pretty weird <laughs> flattering just have this ring yeah just take it yeah yeah, but it's like, let's like, say so he was like, what happened yesterday? Yeah, exactly. Like, really? <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> it's like, where's my ring? My precious ring oh, wow. from my granddad or whatever. Yeah. Oh, well. It's like, no. Yeah, we can all learn something from him. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, get your jewellery ready. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so, if you could just let us know, publication date. So, um, Who's Loving You? It is out on the Thursday, the 4th of March. Um, so by the time this is out, you should be able to get it wherever good books are sold, which will most likely be online. Um, but do support independent bookshops if you can. Um, if they don't have it in stock, get them to order it. Um, but yeah, Who's Loving You? Love Stories by Women of Colour features 10 of the best British women of colour writing today. Check it it's out. It's going to be such a treat for everyone. I can't wait. Uh, thank you so much, Sarita. You are a fountain of wisdom. <laughs> it's so beautiful to talk thank to you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. <laughs> <laughs>